Bohan over fen and field where the long grass grows. The west wind comes walking and about the walls it goes. What news from the west, O wandering wind, do you bring to me tonight? Have you seen Boromir the tall by moon or by starlight? I saw him ride over seven streams, over waters wide and gray. I saw him walk in empty lands until he passed away. Into the shadows of the north I saw him then no more. The north wind may have heard the horn of the son of Denethor. O Boromir, from the high walls westward I looked afar, but you came not from the empty lands where no men are. From the mouths of the sea the south wind flies, from the sand hills and the stones, the wailing of the gulls it bears, and at the gate it moans. What news from the south, O sighing wind, do you bring to me at eve? Where now is Boromir the fair? He tarries, and I grieve. Ask not of me where he doth dwell, so many bones there lie, on the white shores and the dark shores under the stormy sky. So many have passed down Anduin to find the flowing sea. Ask of the north wind news of them the north wind sends to me. O Boromir, beyond the gate the seaward roads run south, but you came not with the wailing gulls from the gray sea's mouth. From the gate of kings the north wind rides and past the roaring falls, and clear and cold about the tower its loud horn calls. What news from the north, O mighty wind, do you bring to me today? What news of Boromir the bold, for he is long away? Beneath Amon Hin I heard his cry, there many foes he fought. His cloven shield, his broken sword, they to the water brought. His head so proud, his face so fair, his limbs they laid to rest. And Raros, golden Raros falls, bore him upon its breast. O Boromir, the tower of guard shall ever northward gaze. To Raros, golden Raros falls, until the end of days. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast attempts to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings, and to try to inspire a love for reading literature and finding the good, the true, and the beautiful in the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. My name is Josh Rice, and with me again is my brother Jake. Say hi, Jake. Hello. <laughs> there he is. Uh, today we're starting The Two Towers and Book Three with the uh, with the departure of Boromir is the chapter that we're going to be talking about today and I, I think to my memory this is the shortest chapter that we've read yet if not it's it's got to be tied um mm. so I'm gonna click I'm gonna kick it over and as always Jake's gonna give us the narrative structure of the chapter <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so don't you get a drink get your voice all ready yeah. for this for this Jake and, and yeah. get cracking all right this one's quick um <laughs> Aragorn goes up to Amon Hin. He looks around. He hears the horn of Gondor. He comes down and uh, finds Boromir almost uh, expired, but not quite. Um, and then him, Legolas, and Gimli send Boromir over the falls of Hrathros. <laughs> and and they... It'll always be that. I'm sorry, yep. everyone. <laughs> but, and then I restrained um, myself in the cold open. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, that's not the place for it. And and then um, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli uh, make the decision to chase after the orcs. And so, <laughs> narratively, there's you know it's pretty simple, uh, honestly. And and the chapter really is largely about Bor- Boromir. Yeah. So let's let's start right away and just put in an or about that you you were saying before we clicked record that like great stories or great books really aren't about the narrative Mm -hmm. so you want to defend that a little bit because that's that's a thing that i probably would have chafed at big time i mean 10 years ago even yeah 
so yeah. why, why do you say that? I I think because the great the great authors are doing more work than just the narrative path. They're saying something with characters about the world or they're using in Tolkien's place he's using the world to say things about the world. Um like the civilizations lost or you know geographical things that are going on. Um I think and again when we like we're ultimately going to compare against the greatest um you know the greatest work of literature which is the Bible. It's like and when you and when we unpack the narrative story, sometimes the narratives don't seem terribly interesting to us, mm. you know, like in our historical context. But like in my, you know, in my view, like the Exodus is one of the greatest works in the history of the world. And it's mm-hmm. narratively, it's a people who are enslaved in another to another people. <laughs> There's some magic and then they get out and right. uh, walk around <laughs> a lot <laughs> <laughs> Much like yeah. in this story, <laughs> and then and then build a super elaborate tent. <laughs> yeah, and they build a big tent, and so you know, like, it, like I, we don't, I don't say that to to make light of the scriptures, mm-hmm. but like the that narrative is really simple. There's not there's not a great depth to it, and yet there are shadows of something greater all over the place. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense that that what I said about this when you when you flew this idea was basically that a story can't really exist without the narrative because mm-hmm. then it has no direction and no definition. But in the stories that really stick with you, it really is not about the narrative. It's mm-hmm. it's about it's about characters, it's about worldview, it's about um, morals and ethics. It's about world building and culture and civilization and all that sort of thing. And I think this chapter is a really good one to have that brief discussion about because I think I think we've read chapters where we could jokingly said like, "What happened in this chapter?" Well, they sat in the woods, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but yeah. this one, you can you can play the absurd reductionistic thing. But mm-hmm. I think this chapter does a couple of things. Is it really does show us that Tolkien is using very few words in this chapter to do a great deal of worldview building and, and mm-hmm. a lot of character development. But also that we've we've been working through this and talking about how these books are kind of set apart. And I think this book tonally just starts us off on a completely different tone than where we left. Because mm-hmm. if you'll remember, as we were going through book two, there was this arc that was basically the deconstruction of Boromir. Like he, mm-hmm. he was being corrupted and falling apart. And in this chapter, what we really get is Boromir burning bright. And everything that's said about Boromir in this chapter is a glowing review of his character. And I think yep. there's something that's really interesting about that. And and I think that's probably that's probably the highlight or the, the climax or the peak of where we're trying to go. I don't think mm-hmm. it'll be towards the end of this episode. I think it'll really be towards the middle because that's where it happens in the chapter. But mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing to, to know about story is that, you know, I've heard it said that the Lord of the Rings is basically a bunch of little people walking around and they throw the ring in fire and the world saved and it mm-hmm. should have been eagles and reductionists and stuff like that. And it really does miss the point. I know it's mm-hmm. always tongue in cheek and laughing, but yeah. it's probably an important discussion to have. And and right off the bat, I think immediately in this chapter, we get character. We see 
Aragorn the ranger again. So yep. wh- where we left in book two is you were saying that we were really starting to see a picture of Aragorn the king, right? Mm-hmm. As we as we went under the Argonoth, and he is he looks changed, almost transfigured in a way yep. to to Frodo. But here, right back again, we get the earthy scout like the tracker and and what what aragorn does is that he's looking for footprints on the ground and he basically figures out what happened with sam and with frodo he he mm-hmm. knows that frodo went up the hill and he starts to, he figures out pretty quick that sam must have doubled back and followed frodo and yeah. know his mind so i don't know i'll i'll kick it to you to kind of start yeah. into the real narrative thrust but i think i think we get a lot of cool stuff with aragorn to start this chapter Mm -hmm. yeah it is it's a neat start and it's it's a it's it's really quick like everything in this chat like everything in this chapter is really short and has a lot of punch and so (laughs) right so yeah the opening here is aragorn um tracking frodo desiring which he had mentioned before his desire to go sit on the seat of seeing at amon hen um, and since he's tracked Frodo, he observes that Frodo has doubled back down the hill. He takes the opportunity when he's here to go sit on the seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his view of the world is quite different from Frodo's. Frodo's is very clear-eyed and deep and like piercingly deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Aragorn's is pretty fogged. Basically, he, he sees one image. <laughs> Whereas right. Frodo sees an image out of every land. Right. And it's it's interesting that where Frodo, we had talked about, that he gets almost supernatural sight. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's seeing things that would be impossible for your eyes to see, mm-hmm. right, just because of geographic distance. But when Aragorn sits up on the high seat, it seems like the first thing that happens is that almost nature itself seems to work against him. It says that it seems like the sun is darkened and the world is dim and remote, almost like, almost like it's gray and foggy in a sense and he's looking around and he just sees hills and then he only sees the only thing he sees is like as a great bird it says that he could see again a great bird like an eagle high in the air um and i think that was probably the first place to you know to jump like what's the deal with the eagle i think the Mm -hmm. deal with the mount with with amon hen is pretty obvious is that the enemy has some power here. Like as you tie it back to Caradras earlier, mm-hmm. you know, where in the Ringo South that it was heavily hinted with the Nazgul flying overhead. It was heavily hinted that Sauron was able to throw snow and avalanches at them mm-hmm. in Caradras. Yeah. I think here it's pretty heavily hinted that Sauron is able to almost control what the person sitting on Amon Hen sees at this mm-hmm. point. And so there's almost yeah. a will striving against Aragorn on this seat. Is that is mm-hmm. that how you saw it? It was, yeah. And it was I think, you know, we you know, we learn in the Karadras encounter that his arm is long <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and that he's able to move against the you know, against nature, um, wherever the the company is. It's also interesting because, you know, when when Frodo's sitting on the seat, Sauron's eye is passing that way. You know, and Frodo gets down and uh, away just in time to hide. And so there's there's kind of in my mind, too, it's like Sauron's probably in my, still kind of searching this place out, or at least, yeah, at least bending his will against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And 
I don't know. I know what look, it's so rare that it happens. So you had a possible crazy fan theory. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, my, my Yeah, my my fan theory was that the Eagle was actually not an Eagle, but a Nazgul. Um I'm I'm not as sold on it as you are about uh Frodo's hearing power. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but you know I, I do think there's a parallel with the Karadra scene and and it's and I don't and I think there's some ties there too because in that story like in book 2 the main thrust of book 2 narratively not like not any of the other things but narratively is that the ring goes south you know and so like there's a part here where and we, we're not to Frodo yet, but we're like, we're still kind of on the, we're still kind of holding on to the hook from Frodo making his move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that move is that the ring goes east. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I, I do think that there's this parallel between the starting, like that's the starting of the fellowship and of the journey. And then there's this breaking, we, we end book two with the breaking and now we're kind of restarting the journey in two parts. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Tolkien has some parallels in like, in kind of, in what's going on there. Right. And, and Aragorn is, it is knowable that he's looking back to the North where they've just come from essentially. Mm-hmm. And he sees this, it is, I thought, I thought that it was possible that, there was actually an eagle that was kind of watching when they were in Holland and that maybe it was the connection with Gandalf being rescued from Saruman by Gwahir, the the chief of the eagles, and that maybe they were on the stir because they, they felt that their mountain was threatened, you know, because they have Eries up in the Misty Mountains. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a bunch of activity, right? Or Orcs swarming into there, Saruman, you know, burning stuff and wreaking havoc in the south and the gap of rohan and and so i thought it's possible also that it's just more of this like the only thing that aragorn can really see is that like darkness is closing in on them from where they've been and then there's darkness in the east and i think the east Mm -hmm. like i'll put a pin in that there because we'll really get to it later because Mm -hmm. i think the east kind of looms large in this chapter it is interesting that as aragorn's trying to look he is like he's straining his eyes looking to the north it would seem like that would not be the direction Mm-hmm. that he would be looking but i think it's because that's the only direction he can see anything and in, mm-hmm. in sauron's mind he would want to say like look we're right behind you mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah there's there's nowhere to go yeah so that, yeah that probably exhausts that and then and, and then what happens is that he gets kind of snapped back to reality because even though he can't see anything he does hear um, it says that his quick ears caught sounds in the woodlands and that was harsh voices of orcs and then a, just a piercing horn blow, which is mm-hmm. which is Boromir blowing the horn of Gondor, the horn of Boromir, which means that he's in need. And, and it's interesting that Aragorn, it seems like he was trying to do something, and then he gets this horn and he says, Alas, an ill fate is on me this day, and all that I do goes amiss. Where is Sam? Mm-hmm. I, I think you get a rare look at Aragorn just kind of scattered here. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. just everything seems to be chaos yeah. right now. Yeah. And he and that theme, uh, that theme does carry a lot through the chapter until, you know, until right at the end. And, you know, because he even says, 
well, I know we'll get to it, but you know, he even makes a comment that Gandalf's trust in him was misplaced, mm. <laughs> which is absurd. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, hey, is that is that a reason to paint a whole character that doubts his lineage? <laughs> I don't think so, but I, no. I think it is. It is very frustrating to him that you know he can he can follow a hobbit's footsteps up flagstone which seems mm-hmm. impossible right mm-hmm. but he is just not getting any breaks in any direction like right sam left him yeah. frodo's gone where is boromir where is anybody he can't see anything and then there's mm-hmm. obviously an emergency because boromir was charged like don't be too quick to wind that horn cuz he remember that he blew it when they left rivendell right and it was basically like we're going to be in secret the only reason you would blow that is in a dire emergency, and that's mm-hmm. that's exactly what we have. Um, yeah. And so now we get to what I think is is definitely the climax of the chapter, and yeah. the chapter's named "The Departure of Bormir." Kind of a tongue in cheek thing, yeah. You know, because there's a departure in several ways, and I could be cutesy about it, and I I think the departure of Bormir really talks about his his traversing down the Anduin and I think we can mm-hmm. get to that. There's reasons why I believe that. But if you if you're familiar in the movie, if you hadn't read the book in a while, basically what happens is that Aragorn comes through and he sees Boromir and Boromir is pierced with many arrows and there's just bodies all around him. Like he, mm-hmm. his sword's broken and he's broken yeah. and so that brings us up on this scene, and I'll, I'll yeah. kind of let you take it. Yeah, I think the first thing to talk about is really something that uh, you had shared, and we've we've touched on it here and there, um, but the sword being broken is something that really stands out. And so, you know, because I think we've kind of latched on to this idea that the, that the sword is representative of the man, um, and we're really paying attention to things like that. So... You know the whole, the the sword and in Tolkien specifically says the bro, it was broken near the hilt, mm-hmm. you know so it was broken near near the base or the foundation mm-hmm. of the sword, um, and so um, you know and then and then the next thing we see is is Boromir laying there, uh, many orcs slain around him, you know he's he's fought valiantly but but he's yeah his body is completely broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think there's some interesting play, right, where we we had just got Aragorn seeing his his forebears at the Argonoth, and as as Aragorn comes to the scene, as he thinks there's orcs, he yells Elendil, Elendil, as he's crashing through the trees, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's something here that the the sword the sword indicates the man, right? We're gonna see it later with Theoden again, but yeah. The sword indicates the man, and, and Boromir's sword is broken off the foundation. There's a lot of things going on there. Boromir was the foundation of the hope of his father. Boromir was the captain and the champion that was supposed to to lead to glory days of the steward. Uh, it's, it's obvious that we get later that Denethor just has tremendous love and hope in Boromir. Mm-hmm. And this, this hope ultimately was placed in the wrong son. Um, that's not for now, but yeah. I think it, it's while Boromir's sword is broken at the at the hill, Aragorn's has been reforged, and so we have the flame of the west kind of overtaking the east, while really this sword of the south is broken off because that line mm-hmm. and and the stewardship is basically coming to an end. 
as as yeah. far as the steward of Gondor. The steward is going to become a lesser office that's a vassal to the king. Yeah, and, and I think we start to see all that. And and you know that's one of those things that's like, is he really saying that? And I think that as we look at swords through the history of this, look, we're going to see them again in this, that the swords are the identifiers of Merry and Pippin, right? Mm-hmm. That the swords have even magical powers on them, that, that there's a reason to think that. And I think Boromir understands, and that's, that's what we understand with the dialogue. And it's very interesting that even though Boromir knows that he's broken, that, that he has spent his life here, that he is extremely sorrowful and not yeah. not worldly sorrow. He's he's bled out. So yeah. we had to read this. And yeah. I, yeah. Do you want me to do it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think no. if you want to. Yeah. I got look, it got dusty for me the other day. My wife made fun <laughs> of me. Well <laughs> I was uh, reading it. Yeah. So yeah. So Aragorn has come through and sees sees Boromir. Aragorn knelt beside him. Boromir opened his eyes and strove to speak. At last, slow words came. I tried to take the ring from Frodo, he said. I am sorry. I have paid. His glance strayed to his fallen enemies. Twenty at least lay there. They have gone, the halflings. The orcs have taken them. I think they are not dead. The orcs bound them. He paused and his eyes closed wearily. After a moment, he spoke again. Farewell, Aragorn. Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I have failed. Uh, no, said Aragorn, taking his hand and kissing his brow. You have conquered. Few have gained such a victory. Be at peace. Minas Tirith shall not fall. And Boromir smiled. Which way did they go? Was Frodo with them, said Aragorn. But Boromir did not speak again. Mm. There's a lot there. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, I think I would draw attention to the beauty mm-hmm. of confession and repentance. That, yeah. Look, we, we had a lot to say about Boromir, and rightfully so. I think Tolkien was leading us there. And it, it's one of those things that if you want to talk about worldview and if you want to talk about the hideous, ugliest, ugliness of wickedness, you you have to bring low in order to feel the weight of forgiveness and repentance and confession. It's interesting mm-hmm. to think about this. As Boromir is pierced with all these arrows... Right, it's got to be difficult to breathe. He is he is at the edge of death. He's got just a few words left in him, and the mm-hmm. first thing he says mm-hmm. is that I tried. He doesn't he doesn't flower it up. He says I tried mm-hmm. to take the ring from Frodo. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I've paid. Yeah, yeah. So the way yeah, the words hit is death. Yeah, the words hit really heavy because the because the truth of the statement is very heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's what he did. He broke the fellowship. He broke trust, and he paid. Um, mm-hmm. But then, then it says it's very notable that it, where it says that his glance strayed to his fallen enemies, lots of them, right? Mm-hmm. Because the idea is, why, why did he die here? He died to try to save Mary and Pippin. Yeah, he he tried. He died trying to do his job and do the honorable thing, and that's what repentance looks like. He was mm-hmm. totally self-absorbed and danger to the hobbits. And then he becomes the man. He really turns back to the man that he was born to be and the man that he is. And he fights bravely. And I, th- I think it's interesting here. Like, I want to skip the big line that we'll talk about with with Aragorn. He, where Aragorn says that 
he says, I have failed. Boromir says, I have failed. And Aragorn says, no, you have conquered. Few have gained such a victory. I think that there is huge worldview stuff going on right there because mm-hmm. Aragorn does not lie. We're going to see that later, that Aragorn's going to get put in a difficult position by Gimli and Legolas in talking about Boromir because mm-hmm. he's trying to hold to respect the dead. He's going to hold the confession for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. But he won't lie to him. And here, yeah. when Ar- so when Aragorn says, you have conquered, few have gained such a victory, mm. he's... <laughs> He's not he's not talking about killing twenty orcs. Right. So yeah. what is he really talking about? Right. He's right. He he has to be talking about the victory over his failure in sin mm-hmm. that right, that he's turned from it. He's even though his life has doesn't have much time left, right, he's gained new life. Hmm. I th- I think that's exactly it. I think that it's it really is from death to life that even though Boromir is dying here that he's gained life and I think what we're going to see is that we're going to be proven in that that read over and over again through the rest of this chapter because we really get Boromir ultimately at the end of this chapter doing something that no one had done before like in death and that that's going to be that his boat navigates the falls of Raros and and <laughs> Not appropriate, <laughs> and no. <laughs> and comes into the comes into the south unscathed, right? right? And yeah, and it becomes a legend of Boromir, basically right. that Boromir has yeah. a legendary death here, right. and the reason why is because it is very rare for a man such as Boromir to to basically humble himself, to repent of his sin, to lower mm-hmm. himself, and to die for those who are much less than him. Because yep. you got to look at it. These are not Frodo and Sam. This is yep. Merry and Pippin. Like at this, at this point in the story, Merry and Pippin have barely talked now for a whole book. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that yeah. that starts to have weight right here is what Aragorn's saying is that Boromir bled and died to protect his lessers once again. Right? Boromir became the true man of Gondor in his death because what does Gondor do if not stand as a bulwark in the West against all the lesser people behind them. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. And that's what Boromir yeah. dies doing is protecting the Shire, just like Gondor has been doing for years and years. I, I, I don't want to miss that. I, I think that it's there. Man, Tolkien does it with such an economy of words, but he is certainly mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about it because right. Aragorn doesn't lie and Aragorn's yep. not flattering. Right. 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 Yeah. He almost certainly killed more orcs in Moria. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean they were hard pressed in Moria. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not that. It's it's about what Boromir died to do. And then we get this other deal, right? And <laughs> it's where Your turn. He, Yeah, he says he says farewell Aragorn, go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I have failed. So Aragorn gives him hope and he says Minas Tirith shall not fall. <laughs> so back <laughs> to the king. Yeah. Right, because in asking Aragorn to save his people, Boromir is basically calling on the king, the the one with the power to come back and do that. Who else? Yeah. Who else could do it? So the movie doesn't get it wrong. The, I think we were talking before. The movie basically expands on this point and makes it more obvious. Because in the movie, 
um, Boromir says, I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king, right? Mm-hmm. A clear sign of allegiance. I think yeah. in his way, Boromir doesn't have the words at this point. Like, he's dying, right? Mm-hmm. And basically, he says the thing that is that. He says, go yeah. save my city, right? Yeah. I have failed. And and that's where Aragorn says, no, you haven't failed. But Aragorn says also, Minas Tirith will not fall. Aragorn's not doubting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's... He knows he, and I think here what starts to click into place is there's this idea that Aragorn's desire has now been commissioned again too. Like this son of Gondor, you know this, this you know in a in a sense kind of the descended cousin of Aragorn through the house of the stewards is saying like go go take up the throne essentially, mm-hmm. and yeah. so that's going to fuel the mission, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it pretty plainly there too. I had the exact same read. You know, mm. um, yeah, well, it makes so me really feel good about it. <laughs> well, it. It makes you feel good about it because it really is. It's like only one line, and you start mm-hmm. to think, like, am I making stuff up out of whole cloth? But I don't. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, basically, we get to the eulogy stuff, right? Yeah. And it's so beautifully written. You you almost want to read the whole thing. You know, right. Aragorn <laughs> says, "Thus passes the heir of Denethor, Lord of the Tower of the Guard. This is a bitter end. Now the company is all in ruin." It is I that have failed. Vain was Gandalf's trust in me. What shall I do now? Boromir has laid it on me to go to Minas Tirith, and my de- heart desires it. But where are the ring and the bearer? How shall I find them and save the quest from disaster? And then what he does next is he says he knelt for a while, bent with weeping, still mm. clasping Boromir's hand. I think you can lose this, right? Yeah. Why, why does Tolkien put that there? Why, why, why does Aragorn spend the time holding Boromir's hand and weeping? Because yeah. I don't, I don't think we've seen that in the writing so much. What's your take mm. on that? Yeah, I think a couple things. I think that maybe I think there's a possibility that Aragorn sees now the, you know, he he makes a comment that says the company is all in ruin, and I. You know, I think there's, I think there's multiple things as, as there always are (laughs) in these things is that I think there's maybe an understanding that the company was starting toward ruin before this moment and he missed it. Um, Mm. He wasn't seeing it. Uh, I, I also, I think, I do think there's the, the fallen brother is, you know, I mean, that's, that's a hard emotional thing. Um, and then I, I think there's also, um, I do think there's also probably the recognition of like what he has to do. He's felt burdened on what to do. And I think he's, you know, I think he's pretty decided in here. I, there's, there's a little bit of follow up with Frodo and Sam on confirming what they're up to, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think there's, I think there's, there's a, possibility to to tie in to the weeping of the the breaking of or of his breaking of the quest because he mm-hmm. he is devoted to frodo mm-hmm. yeah i think he understands that there's no way that anything he wants to do matters if mm-hmm. if frodo is not set on the quest i think that's there and so now we now we move into this next section where legloss and gimli come on the scene and mm-hmm. they've been basically hacking their way through they you know they're they come out armed and they come up and they're afraid legolas says that he's afraid that aragorn's taken deadly hurt and aragorn says no i i wasn't here i've i'm not hurt 
but Boromir is dead. Um, and this this starts this whole next thing that I think is very interesting because Gimli immediately asks about the hobbits, mm-hmm. where are they? And Aragorn says he doesn't know. Um, but Boromir had given news that it was probably Merry and Pippin that were not dead because he had gone to find them, that sort of thing. And then we get to this deal, and it's it's interesting. I highlighted it because I thought it was important because Aragorn keeps saying, like, what do we do? Everything that I've done today has gone amiss. What is mm-hmm. to be done now? And it's interesting that Legolas, you know, the one – He's he's old, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's right. interesting. It's interesting here too that, it, like, an elf here is gonna give advice, but it's not so much advice. It's almost like this is just a reflex because what Legolas mm-hmm. says is, first we must tend the fallen. We cannot mm-hmm. leave him lying like carrion among these foul orcs. Mm-hmm. So what they're gonna do is with the whole world going haywire, right? Don't know where Frodo and Sam are. Don't know where Merry and Pippin are. Boromir's dead. There's orcs all over the place. Yeah. That what they have to do is they have to bury the dead. Yeah. And I think that is hugely significant. Um because it, it speaks to the the responsibility of the virtuous mm-hmm. to to take care of their own, essentially. Right. And I think that's an ethic that really we see over and over, you know, in maybe better times, like it was a big mantra of the U.S. military that we leave none behind, mm-hmm. right? This idea yeah. that you don't you don't let your fallen brothers fall into enemy hands, that mm-hmm. you'll even give up life to try to stop that from happening. Yeah, and 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 we get that here. Yeah, that, and and it comes from the mouth of Legolas. So I know yeah. I know you had noted that as being a really important thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I kind of. I really just highlighted it as um, as this place of honor that the virtuous hold for all people. And it's, you know, I think, you know, we do a lot of contrast with the good and evil. And it's it's something that we don't see on the evil side where, right, the, the orcs have lost 20 here to one guy. And they're just like, they're, they leave them and run off. Mm-hmm. You know, they found their spoil and, <laughs> you yeah. know, and they, and they take it and go and hack everything in their path. And like, there's no, like seemingly, right. They don't take any weapons. They don't take any, they take nothing of the fallen, you know, behind them. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. and, you know, meanwhile, the good guys, uh, or the virtuous have, one fallen comrade, chaos everywhere, four, you know, one dead and four missing. And instead of immediately chasing the missing that's that are unknown, they take the time to honor, you know, to, mm-hmm. to honor the image bearer, right? Like this is this is this is a human that has value in life and you know and gave life for for the company. And and that's a place of honor, it's a place of reverence and a place of respect. You know, we did talk about it a little bit in the heat of battle when you don't have time to grieve, like with Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Um, in this moment, there is time. Um, they're not under duress. And so, like, the the right thing to do is to honor the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that right away they get their first reward of the chapter for doing that is that, mm-hmm. you know, they're so they decide that there's not enough rocks 
to build like a cairn to put him in. So they decide that the best thing to do is to put him in a boat and float him down Anduin over Raros and to, to put his weapons on him and to put all the weapons of the enemies that he slayed under his feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, there's real biblical stuff there, right? Yeah, about sure. about him standing above his enemies and that sort yep. of thing. But in the in the mix, they're trying to find, you know, they're they're pulling weapons on off of the slain bodies, and they find um, the two knives that were Mary and Pippin's knives that the orcs left behind because they didn't want to touch them. It says that those those things were bound up with basically spells against Mordor and against the orcs. And so now they have information. It's the first time in this chapter that they really get any information. Mm-hmm. And that is that the orcs have taken Merry and Pippin and Boromir yep. had said that they're alive. And so now they know which hobbits that the orcs have taken. And so yep. in some ways, I think that gives them even a little bit more time to backtrack and start to try to figure things out and unravel the mystery. And they get mm-hmm. that from doing the right thing. They yep. would have almost been walking blindly had they not turned around and done this. And often it is the way you know, that the doing the right thing, even if it seems to be slower, often is the faster way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then we yeah. get this possible contradiction, right? Cause on the, mm-hmm. on the enemies, mm-hmm. they find a weird, um, elven rune for an S and they have, um, <laughs> and tokens with a white hand on them. Now at this point you have to understand, right? That, they they would they've never seen this token and we who have seen the story before know immediately who it is mm-hmm. um but at this point they're trying to guess and gimli says you know obviously that's sauron and yeah. then legolas says something interesting he says he says sauron doesn't use the elf runes and you said correctly yeah. well yeah. the ring the ring is inscribed with elf runes so yeah. is tolkien just a moron here <laughs> <laughs> certainly not um, no i think you know, I think the, you know, the elf runes are written on the ring um, in the second age when he's feigning fairness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so he, you know, in his construction of it, he's right. He's, he's trying to, he's trying to bind the elves <laughs> mm-hmm. to him. And, you know, so he writes, you know, he writes the, the script in elven runes, and even though it's in the speech of Mordor. Hmm. Yeah, and then and then Aragorn says, and it this one gave me fits, and it has for a long time. It, Aragorn says, neither does he use his right name nor permit it to be s- spelt or spoken, um, and he doesn't use white. So that part's mm-hmm. obvious, but immediately is knowing the story. So Aragorn basically is saying that Sauron doesn't use that name, and he doesn't yeah. allow that name to be used. But if you're a savvy reader of the book, mm. you know that there's a contradiction and that, that contradiction is in the return of the king where there's an emissary that comes out that is the mouth of Sauron, and he refers to Sauron the Great, like the mm-hmm. mouth of Sauron refers to Sauron the Great. And so, I know we kind of looked around. So, <laughs> two options, right? This one could be a simple oversight, yep. right? The the thing The thing got edited and redrafted a bunch of times, and it's an expansive story. I wonder at that, though, because... It's something that I've picked up on a long time ago. This was not from careful reading. This is something that's always kind of bothered me. Like, once yeah. you know the whole story, you know that this is going on. And it's yeah. very obvious. Aragorn says that. So, is there another possible explanation besides 
Tolkien just biffed it on this one. And, like, <laughs> actually, you know, some of them do call him Sauron. <laughs> what? Why don't you why don't you carry the water for Tolkien on this one? <laughs> <laughs> so I will fully grasp. I, I, I will fully admit it, it could be a contradiction, but I think there's another way to look. We we so there's two ways to look at it. One is real meta, like trying to get it's pretty thin, right? I think the thin explanation could be that Aragorn's really never even talked to any higher servants. So Aragorn would have been in contact with orcs or like the men of the East or that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it's very possible that they would not be able to use that name, like that maybe even they were fooled by another name of Sauron. So that's possible. I think a more likely explanation, though, is that the mouth of Sauron is basically like number two or three. He's probably number mm-hmm. three behind the Witch King. And he gets he gets really... It's going to be super fun when we get to that point in Return of the very, King. But he mm-hmm. gets super um, ranty. <laughs> yeah. And he, he almost, in a way, gets carried away with his own. Like he's very arrogant, and yeah. he starts. He almost gets carried away with his banter. It seems like, mm-hmm. and so I think there is a very plausible explanation that it could show that this mouth of Sauron was kind of showing the excesses of evil and going off the rails. Either way, I don't think mm-hmm. it's a major point. It's possible mm-hmm. that it's just an oversight, but I think it's also pretty possible that. That's one of those things that's true of the servants, but but also evil, like disobeys the rules anyway, mm-hmm. right? And and when mm-hmm. when evil starts thinking they're operating on their own, it's always a power struggle. It's very Machiavellian mm-hmm. with evil. Is like all the evil guys want to be like the evil guy. Like that's what right. Saruman is doing right now. Mm-hmm. Presumably, that's what the mouth of Sauron would do also. And yeah. so I could see that almost being a commentary. That is so. Mm-hmm. Like c- disconnected by lots of narrative that I wonder about it. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if I was putting odds on. I don't know. Let me maybe maybe I wasn't gonna support you in this, but maybe let me try to support you a little bit in it. Okay. When <laughs> no, because this, this is unusual. Because <laughs> because the the mouth of Sauron clearly, and I, I can't wait to get to that part, but he is extremely insolent and arrogant um in his dealings with you know with aragorn's party um something that i was thinking about is the only other time that we see an emissary from mordor is the one that's sent to the dwarves and i'm and i'm i'm trying to recollect i don't recall that they that he uses the name sauron when he's treating with the dwarves hmm I so, can't remember either. I, yeah, we probably so need to put a pin in that one. There's a, there's a follow up. <laughs> there'll be a, there'll be an overdub on this episode here at minute yeah. forty. <laughs> <laughs> minute forty. You know that's the thing I hadn't done yet. I was just break in there. Like research showed Josh is a total moron and was carrying water or totally vindicated he just said yeah. dark lord over and over again uh-huh. i'm pretty sure he says dark lord repeatedly <laughs> i do think but... in, i do think in the night in the knife in the dark they say open the name mordor they definitely never say sauron at that mm-hmm. part so there's yep. a couple instances so anyway yeah. probably All time right. to move on <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> they were majoring in minors there yeah um so they make a they make a boat and mm-hmm. they they put boromir on it and I did want to read this because I, I think it's great. Um, so they put him out in the boat in the middle of the stream in the current, 
like and and they're out on a boat bringing him out it says he floated by them and slowly his boat departed waning to a dark spot against the golden light and then suddenly it vanished raros roared on unchanging the river had taken boromir son of denethor and he was not seen again in minas tirith standing as he used to stand upon the white tower in the morning but in gondor in after days it long was said that the elven boat rode the falls and the foaming pool and bore him down through osgiliath and past the many mouths of anduin out into the great sea at night under the stars. That's hmm. almost like a eulogy. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that, except that then Aragorn and Legolas sing a song. Yeah. And and so I think, in a way, I'll, just, I'll leave all this open. I know you wanted to talk about the three wins in the song mm-hmm. and this eulogy, so I'll, I'll yeah. give you a block here yeah. while I'll think about my overdub. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I I wasn't necessarily going to break into um, specifically like every line in the three wins, but so there's there's really there's the four wins. Um, I'll let you maybe talk more about Gimli. Um, okay. The thought that the thought that I had had is it's really fascinating because they quickly break into song. All three of them seem to understand that there's that there should be a song and like in its place and what it's trying to do. And so I think maybe my wild fan theory here is that <laughs> that there's there's probably this canned song in society about the message of the four winds because again like for them to come to it in the moment quickly again I mean it's it's a book so Tolkien can write it however he wants but he's also he was really diligent about about culture and things like this. And so it kind of suggests to me that across the free peoples, there's this idea of, of kind of utilizing the four winds as messengers, as messengers um, in poetry that, that maybe has a structure on the fly. Um, I kind of couldn't, I I don't know why I just kind of kept thinking about it because, because they, there's like this call response call response going on mm-hmm. um going on with the song and it sort of suggests that that there's there's some sort of basis for it to exist prior to them just coming up with it on the fly mm. yeah i think i think it's pretty likely that the idea would be that that there's kind of a i don't know like a a tribute in a way mm-hmm. to to someone important who has fallen that and maybe fallen away from home, like a warrior song or something mm-hmm. like that, because mm-hmm. it really seems like it would fit fit a soldier um, who dies away from home. And mm-hmm. obviously, the four winds all, all, always indicates like news from all over the world. So mm-hmm. the idea is that Boromir would not be seen in Minas Tirith, but that those in Minas Tirith would be inquiring of the four winds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then notably, so one wind is left out. They they do the the south, the north, and the west. There is no voice for the east wind. And Gimli says that they left the east wind to him, but I will say not of it. And Aragorn encourages him and says that is as it should be. In Minas Tirith, they endure the east wind, but they do not ask it for tidings. Um, but now Boromir has taken his road, and we must make haste to choose our own. Mm-hmm. I think that Gimli shows great wisdom there, kind of understanding the the world, right? That he doesn't need to sound his voice 
and he understands like who Boromir is and what the position is. And Aragorn almost, I, I, it seems like it's a compliment that's like, mm-hmm. you get it, Gimli. Yeah. No one in Gondor is asking the East for anything because right. all they, all the, the only tidings they get out of the East are blackness and war yeah. and evil. So yeah. they don't want to know anything yeah. from the East. Right. Super interesting thing there yeah. that is, is kind of a portent of what's coming as as the story starts to unwind, especially as we get into Gondor, that the mm-hmm. East is just a menace. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of, you know, Gimli continuing to shine in his, you know, his wisdom. Because I had noted it too. I, I wrote down wisdom next to Gimli's name at this section, you know. And because even, even when they come up on Boromir, like his question is where are the hobbits? And then he specifically asks, where is Frodo? Right? It's mm-hmm. like... Like he loves the company, but he kn- he knows what's going on here. He knows what the most important thing is, right? You know, and so um, you know, Gimli just I don't know continues to impress me on this <laughs> read through of his of his reading of the situation, his wisdom and understanding of what they're about, um, and his I think and his optimism about it. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So no overdub needed. The uh, the <laughs> I've been <laughs> frantically multitasking here. The, uh, so the emissary and the messenger to to Dane did say Sauron the Great is mm. looking for something. Interesting. I don't even know what that means now. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. All right, Could be an it. inconsistency. <laughs> I think he probably just biffed it. <laughs> May have sounded cool to write it here. Or maybe, yeah. you know, he famously had a lot of drafts. Um, um Aragorn biffed it. Tolkien didn't Maybe. biff it. Aragorn biffed it. Yeah, it's Aragorn's fault. Look, look. Okay, Aragorn's been super confused this whole chapter. So, all right, now we've got it. That's right. We, we got it. Um, but Aragorn now comes out of his confusing confusion yeah. because after the song, he says basically like, "We got to figure out what we're going to do." Um, they go back mm-hmm. to the camping place, and basically Aragorn figures it all out. Right, that the Sam doubled back, beat him there, that it's only Sam. Sam's pack is taken, um, a boat's gone. And so Aragorn figures out and knows that they've gone. It, it says that, you know, that it was brave, that Frodo did not wish to lead any to death with him in Mordor, but he knew mm-hmm. that he must go himself. Um, it says, and I, I did want to call attention to this. Yeah. Um, Legolas says, maybe hunting orcs came on him and he fled. Aragorn says, he fled, certainly. But not, I think, from orcs. It says what he thought was the cause of Frodo's sudden resolve and flight. Aragorn did not say the last words of Boromir. He long kept secret. Um, mm. Interesting that you want to give time there. That you don't want to interrupt the morning. That Gandalf shows, or sorry, Aragorn shows a lot of maturity and a lot of compassion. I think for the memory of Boromir here. Yeah. But he doesn't lie, and I and I hinged a lot of my interpretation of this chapter on that. That. He tells the truth that he definitely right. fled. He doesn't say why he fled. Yeah. Um, he knows yeah. why he fled. Right. But and I think this, it is. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, it is it is important to, I think, to protect the character of Boromir, especially in a moment like this, right, where it's, um, there's, there's grief and mourning, but Gimli and Legolas are also bound up in... Um, in, in Frodo and the quest. And so Boromir's move against Frodo does 
particularly in this specific moment, does damage his character pretty deeply, mm-hmm. e- even yeah. with the repentance. Yeah, because because it's what drives the wedge and brings the fellowship to ruin. Mm-hmm. You know, and he does. He shows great wisdom and restraint. Yeah, and we really do come to the end with the final moral decision that once he knows what happens, Aragorn says that he would have followed um, Frodo to Mordor and gone with him to the end. But if I do that now, if I seek him now in the wilderness, I must abandon the captives to torment and death. My heart speaks clearly at last. The fate mm-hmm. of the bearer is in my hands no longer. The company has played his part, yet we that remain cannot forsake our companions while we have strength left. Come, we will go now. Leave all that can be spared behind. We press on by day and dark. And this is what clarity looks like, mm-hmm. right? Back on the trail, back on yeah. the mission, and understanding that, and he says it, he says that the the company played its part, yeah. and that part was to get Frodo south, yeah, essentially, and yeah. at this point now, you can't leave Merry and Pippin to, like, Frodo and Sam have their wherewithal, right? Mm-hmm. They're on the quest together. Merry and Pippin have no chance right? if, if someone doesn't follow, and so right. there comes the clarity, and now it's just the chase, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And and that's how this chapter ends is that they are running in the dusk and mm-hmm. you know that the orcs have made a big trail hacking and slashing all over the place so it's easy to follow them. Right. Um, this ends a pretty short chapter and yeah, I, it, it's it's <laughs> you know we're under an hour so we did better. Yeah. Um, pretty good. <laughs> so I think uh, time for the customary yeah. thoughts to roam with. And now yeah. I can't remember. We did the recap thing. So. Oh, yeah. So I think it's my turn. Sweet. Okay. You are good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, man, the thing that sticks with me the most is um, really is the honoring. And I, I kind of see it. So is Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn taking the time to honor the dead? And, you know, it's, it's a grievous thing to, to deal with the dead, but I kind of see it as a bigger, um, thought to run with. So it's like the first part, the first part is that we definitely want to honor the dead. We, we do want, and I do think our, like culturally, like eulogies (laughs) do that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's not the time to besmirch character at that point, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fate that, that comes upon all of us. And so it's, it's a time of reverence and, and honor bearing, I think, um, in, in light of that too, though, like in life, like we should, we should have the same mentality regardless of, of the situation, right? Whether, whether in death or life, we should honor, uh, the image of other people, regardless of what our agreements are, disagreements are, whatever, Mm -hmm whatever, um, you know, and we'll, I know there's times to talk about, you know, calls to repentance and things like that. Um, and calling out, you know, calling out sin, but that doesn't change the fact that we honor character that, that all people are made in God's image and that they're worthy of honor for that fact alone, regardless Mm -hmm. of what their actions are. Yeah, that's really good. I think mine is, pretty simple it's a thing that i chew on a lot and so my thought to roam with is that it's much more important how you end than how you begin um 
I think of I think of Boromir as being really similar to Samson in that way that that Samson was a guy who he was he was given this he was a warrior he was given this tremendous strength and gift and he really messed it all up he betrayed his god you know he betrayed his vows and yet as he was blinded with his eyes gouged out um you know bound up to pillars he prayed to god for strength one more time that he could destroy god's enemies and in death he died honorably and is mentioned in hebrews 11 with mm-hmm. other great saints in the old testament showing that you know look a man that a man that betrayed god betrayed his vows um consorted with the enemy basically just made a mess out of everything is mm-hmm. immortalized in what's called the hall of faith yeah um it's interesting for us to think about because we never know we never know when our time is up. You know, I remember vividly three years ago I'd had something major go on in inside and was delirious almost going into a surgery and it was a dangerous thing and really thought like, hey, this this might be the end. And mm. my my thoughts were like as I as I prayed to the Lord before I went into the operating room, my thoughts were, Lord, I I trust you. And, and I'm thankful for everything you've given me. And I don't know that as I woke up from it, you know, mm-hmm. and was still here that yeah. it gives me a lot of hope that faith, that God does give grace in difficult times when we, when we need it. Cause he does keep us close to him and, and perseveres us. Mm-hmm. That's a, I th- and I think those are two <laughs> big themes of this chapter, right? It's how yeah. we handle the dead and how, how even when we fail, that we don't fail as long as we finish well. Yeah. So I think, I think that's all we got for this short chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One note, you know, it's, it is possible. I didn't even tell you this, Jake. I, it is possible that CR Wiley listened to the podcast. No, that can't be true. (laughs) No, listen on, on Twitter. Let me paint this picture. This is my last crazy (laughs) fan theory and we're going (laughs) to, Off. <laughs> so C.R. Wiley, who wrote In the House of Tom Bombadil, he said on Twitter that he was thinking about writing a story about the bravery of Sam, writing another book. So obviously I immediately replied to that and was like, please do that. And I said, uh, we've given you major props in my brother and I's podcast, and I linked the episode In the House of Tom Bombadil. Oh, yeah. And C.R. Wiley liked the tweet. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's, look, it's possible. <laughs> it's, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's not the celebrity. It's it's that uh, he's a, he's a brilliant guy, and we love him a lot. But yeah. you know, if you're listening, Cr Wiley, like we're super Thank happy you. about that. Thanks. Yeah. We listen to you too. <laughs> That's right, all the time, all, all the, the time. time. Well, I hope that uh, I hope that you enjoyed that chapter. Join us again next time as we are introduced to the writers of Rohan. Mm-hmm.